Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history. Brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. You know, some people say that young people these days just aren't that interested in history museums. Don't tell that to the Noah Webster House in West Hartford, which has found a way to attract hundreds of 20 and 30-somethings to drink in history at the birthplace of the man who helped to find early America. We'll hear all about that in Drinking in History with Noah Webster, coming up on Grading the Nutmeg. It's an early fall weekend in October, and what better way to pass the time than visit the historic home of the man who literally helped define America, Noah Webster. Chances are, I'll be one of a handful of visitors there today, and that'll give me a chance to take a leisurely look at all things Noah. But wait! What's this? Cars lining both sides of the street in front of the museum? And lots of people leaving those cars and walking toward the Noah Webster house? That's curious. I drive for a couple of blocks, find an open space, park, and join them. And when I get to the Noah Webster house itself, not only do I see a crowd of people standing around talking and laughing, I hear this. Good fun today. Good food, good brew. band playing some very un-18th century music to a very un-museum-like crowd of 20 and 30-somethings. What's going on here? I make my way inside, past an even larger group of people who are obviously enjoying themselves, until I find Jennifer DiCola Matos, executive director of the Noah Webster House, and I ask her, what's going on? the Noah Webster Real Ale Harvest Festival. It's our second annual one. Last year we did it basically because we had this gorgeous reproduction 18th century garden with really great noble hops and I wanted to be able to do something with them. Now, you grew the hops because it's an 18th century product or because you know that Noah Webster also grew hops? Well, we had the garden actually was designed um, by Rudy Favretti, who's a notable historic landscape artist. We got him in, um, I'm not sure if it was the 60s or 70s, we only became a museum in 1965. So once the the house opened as a museum, they went about recreating the 18th century kitchen garden. And so the the hops have been here for years and years and years, and they're really um, vigorous and, you know, doing very well. The brewers have actually told me as they come to collect um, some of the herbs and plants that they're of the noble hop family. So most people see an 18th century garden and they go, oh, the old cooking garden. You saw it and thought something else, didn't you? Yeah, I guess so. Um, and the brewers, that's thats the beauty of um, the whole event, is the brewers are really excited because it's a competition. They have to choose an object from the garden in their recipe. Um, so how did you come to, like, what gave you the idea of having this event? Um, we, 
I, I actually brought the event. I know I needed someone who need who knew beer and could really tell me, is this possible? Um, we had some home brewers come over and they had collected some hops and made their own. They made an IPA called Noah Hopster um, one year, and and so I took the idea to someone who I knew would be a little bit more knowledgeable about is this possible, and that guy was Ian Halpern, who's the um, director of operations for Harvest Country Store and Harvest Harvest Fine Wines and Spirits in West Hartford, and um, and he said yes, I love the idea, and I think what you should do is not just have a you know an old like everyone's doing a beer fest. Let's let's have the brewers actually use the ingredients, um, and he we decided that instead of using the hops because there really aren't enough hops to for everybody to brew with them um, that they could choose whatever they wanted in the garden. So some choose the hops and they either dry hop their cask or um, wet hop the cask um, so that they're using a handful of hops rather than everything we've got. Um, Or they could choose something else. So we're finding that some people are using hops and something else and some people are just choosing something else like lavender, hyssop, um, beets, you know, so some vegetables. So they're taking vegetables and herbs out of the garden and they're using it to flavor the beers and the ales that they're making. Yes. Yes. It's awesome. Well, I've talked to several people, and they absolutely love what they're tasting here. Oh, great. How many different brewers did you have sign up for this? So this year we have 24 breweries. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people, and what's um, what's really cool about it is that a lot of the head brewers actually took the time to either come out here and harvest, um, like um, the head brewer Dave Wollner from Willimantic Brewing Company came all the way from Willimantic to forage in our garden. We actually gave the brewers a list of ingredients and we said you can source your own you know you don't have to come the whole way out here so it's kind of cool that some people actually did came all the way just to make sure they were using the authentic the authentic like especially the hops well i know that the relic the people from the relic brewery in plainville they came here and they they They, used lavender from the garden and i guess the willamantic brewing company did as well yes we had um probably 10 of the 24 and then some of them are so some, a lot of them are from Connecticut but we do have some far-flung breweries we have a couple from New York we have one from New Hampshire so um, so they they didn't come in and, and do it but they they actually you know used similar uh, similar ingredients both inside and outside the museum the brewers who had crafted special Noah Webster garden inspired beers for the occasion had set up tables and tents and were proudly serving samples to a very pleased group of visitors. One of the things that stood out to me when talking with them is not only how proud they were of their products, but also how often history and legend had played a part in the naming of their companies. Take, for example, Brian Cox and Scott Stauffer, who told me about the origins of their Hanging Hills Brewing Company. The, the Hanging Hills is a, um, a section of the Metacomet Ridge. It's a trap rock formation, and it starts in Meriden, and that's where like Castle Craig is. And it goes up through Berlin, uh, Southington, and New Britain. And we stumbled on it basically because of the, the mythological beast known as the Black Dog of the Hanging Hills. It's, it's a black dog that uh, it barks, but you hear no sound, and it leaves no footprints. The first time you see it, it's, a, it's like a, uh, a sense of elation. The second time you see it, be forewarned, and the third time is a death oak. 
What a really interesting yeah. legend that is. Yeah. It's, Are you telling me not to drink your beer the third time? Uh, we're in Hartford, so you're safe. We're not actually technically in the Hanging Hills. We just, we liked it and honored it by making it our day. And we've had people come in the brewery and swear up and down that they've seen the dog. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could so, have been after a few beers. But yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. Tell me about the beer you made for today's event. So today's event, we took our McQueen Robust Smoke Porter. What would you like? And we added rosemary and lavender to it. And part of uh, making a cask is you've got to add some sugar back to it so it, it carbonates. Uh, well, in this case, the sugar that we added back was actually some local Connecticut honey. Oh, terrific. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, a local Connecticut orange blossom honey that, that gives it the carbonation and a little bit of a sweet tone to it. Yeah. Judging from the reaction of people who have sampled it, you did a really good job. I'm glad to hear that, yeah. The brewer and founder of Still Hill Brewery in Rocky Hill told me about the interesting origins of his company's name. Still Hill is a hill in South Glastonbury where no, 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 uh, no. back in time some of the town fathers wanted to set up some stills. And South Glastonbury was sparsely populated, had a lot of farms, berry farms, orchards. So they found a really nice hill, uh, had a really nice brook, and they set up their brandy stills. And... Uh, Everybody in town knew what they were doing because everybody in town always yeah, does. became a customer at all Absolutely, likelihood, most right? most likely. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't want to be near the populace. They didn't want to upset anybody that maybe, you know, find alcohol abhorrent. And sure. So they set up their stills, and everybody knew, so they started calling it Still Hill. And I guess it's still called Still Hill, right? It is still, it is, uh, you won't, the only online reference I can find to it, other than our website, is Google Maps lists the cemetery on the hill is Still Hill Cemetery. There you go. The Old South Cemetery. Um, and it's right near where um, the town had the, the townhouse where it was uh, kind of a boarding house for people down on their lock. A lot of men would stay there when they were between jobs or trying to find jobs and would work the orchards around the area. So it made distribution of the product relatively simple. Right? I would imagine so. I would imagine so. So you, you picked a historic name for your brewery yes. and you're at a historic site did you make a historic beer? I think so. Absolutely, all our beers. I took one of our staple beers called Red Storm Rising. It's our American Amber Ale. They use a big slug of rye in the, the grain bill for it, which adds a really nice spiciness. And um, it's a beer that casks very well. So when the Noah Webster Real Ale Fest came up, um, I looked at my beers and said, this would be a good one. And I looked at the all the items grown here in the garden, and I said, what would work? And this beer lends itself to a, an anise slash licorice kind of flavoring. So looking down the list, we chose tarragon, which does have that component in the flavor profile. And uh, so we put a bunch of tarragon into a cask of Red Storm Rising. Um, and really came out. I'm, I'm pleased with the way it came out. It's a really nice beer. It's got definite uh, some licorice in the aroma and some black licorice in the flavors, and it works well with the spiciness of the rye and the hops that I choose to uh, use on this beer. Well, I've been watching people come up and sample, and I think you can be proud of what you made, judging Thank you by their much. reaction. Ben Braddock of Hartford's newest brewery, the six-week-old Hog River Brewing Company, 
has incorporated history into his company's mission. So a big a big part of our brewery is educating people on the history of Hartford. So hence our name. Um, our actual manufacturing space is the former Hartford Rubber Works. We have some of the original manufacturing equipment in the brewery. So um, they invented the pneumatic tire. So we have some of the original hammer presses that made the wheels to, to hold the tires. So you've actually incorporated a lot of history into beer making, right? We have, yeah. All of our names are based off of Hartford history. So, so tell us some of the names of your product. Our brown ale, for example, is called the Eighth Ward Brown Ale. The Parkville section of Hartford, where we're located, used to be known as the Eighth Ward. Our local 35 IPA, pre-prohibition, there were nine breweries in the city of Hartford. Local 35 was a local brewers union. All the brewers are encouraged to join the local 35 union. Um, we also have several other names behind the Rocks Red Ale, which is a section of Hartford, and the list goes on and on. So uh, Wednesday we're putting out our Pope Porter, named after Pope Manufacturing. So that's correct. Uh, uh, so tell me about the beer you made for the event today. This is our uh, single hop mosaic pale ale. It's called Hartford Pale Ale. Yep. Um, five and a half percent, very blonde in color, single hopped with mosaic hops, and then from the No Webster House we infuse it with basil and strawberry so you get a little bit of a, a hot punch from the mosaic the strawberries more in the nose and the basil gives a little bit of a um, little bit of pepper on the nose on the palate as well so reaction seems to have been really positive so far so good one of the most surprising things about the Noah Webster Real Ale Harvest Fest other than the size of the crowd was the age of the participants I asked Webster House Director Dicola Medos about this. Obviously, this draws a much younger crowd than you see at many historical events. What do you think the attraction is? Well, people like beer. So that is really the driving force. And what our goal was is to really connect it to mission. You know, and so right now we are sitting in Noah Webster's lean-to kitchen. I wanted to make sure that this house is open so that people who are, while they're drinking beer, can still come in and learn about it. And, and I think there's something really special about place and the fact that we are here on the grounds of Noah Webster's birthplace. Um, we made sure in the brochure, at least, there's a lot of information about Noah Webster and what he did. Um, probably people aren't going to pick up on that right now, but maybe later they'll think about it. And really just to be on people's radar. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. There's just so much out there in terms of entertainment for people and at least they'll say hey no Webster House that was a really cool place in talking with participants I found Decola Matos was correct the beer was a draw but the Noah Webster House made its own impression so what brings you to Noah Webster today? Uh, the beer. Excellent. <laughs> Are you a big history fan? Not so much. Not so much. So you didn't come to see Noah? No. We, okay. we did enjoy the 18th century kitchen, though. Oh, you did? Yeah, we took a walk in the 18th century reprodu reproduction kitchen. That was interesting. Um, I wouldn't say we're history buff, but it's always intriguing. Have you, have you been to the Noah Webster house before? No, I haven't, but it's actually something that Absolutely. Yeah. See, that's the hope, I think, of having this event, that people will come and see it. That's a great idea. They'll yeah. like the beer so much, they'll come back when they make it a tavern, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> of course, not every visitor was a 20 or 30-something, nor a historical. 
Near a wall graphic depicting West Hartford in the mid-20th century, I found one guest doing some historical reminiscing. But that whole corner there was the windmill restaurant. And they had a big windmill on the front of it. And they had a pony ring in front of, in front of that, which was my thrill as a little boy. That's great. And I had a restaurant on Bishop's Corners in later years, and it was called MJ's, and what used to be interesting to me is, is that there wasn't an old guy, 20-25 years my senior, that wouldn't swear that they had an opportunity to buy one of those corners for $10,000. Yeah, Everybody yeah. could have gotten in on the ground floor. The winners of the second Noah Webster Real Ale Harvest Fest Selected by a three-judge panel, including certified Cicerone Paul Zacco, were cask champion New Park Brewing. Second place went to Aspetuck Brew Lab. Third place was Schmaltz. And the honorable mention went to Relic. For the Taster's Choice Award, New Park Brewing won first, Aspetuck Brewing second, and there was a tie for third between City Steam and OEC. But of course, the real winner was the history community, who got to imbibe a wonderful lesson into one of the ways history can attract a new and younger generation. It, it's clear the big attraction here is all of the great beer. But I've talked to a number of people who also love the setting, and they've come around the house, and you know, you can tell that they've it's done exactly what you hoped it would do. It's, it's, um, it's hit the curiosity button, and hopefully they'll come back, not just next year for the third annual fest, but they'll come back and visit soon. Yeah, I hope so, and you know what? Even if they don't come back, I'm still happy that they were able to experience it. I'm sure they will come back for the third annual, but if they don't come back during the year, um, at least they know about us. You know, we're not just the place that, oh, I drove by that a thousand times and I never stopped in. For Jennifer DiCola Matos and the Webster House, though, it's no time to rest on their laurels. I mean, this, this site has also kind of pioneered these historical and entertainment venues and events, right? You do a, a tavern night as a, is that a... Yeah, we do a tavern night in the winter usually um, where we kind of open up the house as a tavern and serve a meal. We're really lucky that we have a, you know, a caterer's kitchen, so we can actually do that kind of event with a food license and all of that stuff. Um, so that's something that we're really fortunate to have. Um, and then, yeah, the other big thing we do is the cemetery tour, West Hartford Hauntings, which is coming up at the end of October. And that's another way to kind of use the movement of Halloween and people are looking for things to do. And then, you know, aren't they going to be surprised when they get there and they actually learn that these are all based on historical people who are buried in the cemetery. And, you know, the, the tour guides this year are actually two witches that were hung in Hartford. And West Hartford was part of Hartford until 1854. So, um, so we're kind of infiltrating history in a, like, sneaky way. <laughs> so for people listening to this podcast who may be... Uh, you've whet their appetite to come visit. Where do they come, and when can they come and see the Noah Webster House? Noah Webster House is open every day from 1 to 4 p.m., just for regular tours. Um, and then we have a host.
host of special events. And you can go on our website, and you can also go on our Facebook page. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and you can learn more about what we do. But pretty much every month, we have something going on. And October happens to be a really busy month with the Real Ale Fest today. And um, West Hartford Hauntings on the 21st, 22nd, 28th, and 29th, taking place in North Cemetery. Um, and then we have an, another new thing we're doing is West Hartford House Tour. So we're going to be covering the Hartford Golf Club, which is a national historic district. We'll be opening up five houses of, um, for that tour, which will be on Sunday, November 6th. Well, you're having a busy fall this year, aren't you? We are. Yeah. <laughs> and you look like you're being pulled in about nine different directions right now. So I'm going to thank you and let you get back to your business. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Jennifer DiCola made us executive director of the No. For grading the nutmeg, I'm Walt Woodward. We wish to thank Jennifer DiColabados and the Noah Webster House, Brian Cox and Scott Stoffer of the Hanging Hills Brewery, the founder of the Still Hill Brewery, Ben Braddock of the Hog River Brewing Company, and all the participants in the second Noah Webster Real Ale Harvest Fest. To see pictures from today's episode, visit the Connecticut State Historian's Facebook page. To read more great stories about Connecticut history or to subscribe to the magazine, visit Connecticut Explored at ctexplored.org. You can download or listen to all the Grading the Nutmeg podcasts at gradingthenutmeg.libsign.com or subscribe to Grading the Nutmeg on iTunes.